Amen. OPBC Online, a ministry of Old Paths Baptist Church in Northfield, Minnesota. Coming to you live here this Thanksgiving Eve. It is 2 p.m., 2.02 p.m. Central Time to be exact. And uh, hope you're doing well here. I better scoot this microphone up, scoot this over, and uh, all that good stuff. So, uh, I hope you're doing well here today. And uh, I've been up since 6 o'clock and having a challenging day here trying to get my computer to work. I'm going to take a crack at it. I was going to let Andrew try it, but I'm going to take a crack at it tomorrow again, maybe. We'll see. But I'm going to try to get that thing myself here. I had to get a new Mac because mine is about six years old and uh, get a new one here. And I, I, uh, they had a good deal on an interest-free thing for 24 months, so I figured I'd just take them up on it and uh, and get it and uh, update after six years. A lot of lot of uh, use. That my uh, my little buttons are starting to fall off of this. And of course, you could fix that if you really wanted to, but. And it's getting it's a little slower now and all that kind of stuff, kind of like me, I guess. But uh, anyway, so I'm going to upgrade here to the new one and use that and just did that here yesterday. So um, decided to do that and, and, and get a new one here. So anyway, I'll be using that. I've got a lot of projects on the way and a lot of work and that this Mac has been through a lot of stuff. So my wife will end up using this one and. And uh, I got to work on getting this. I transferred 250 gig or 212 gigabytes of basically copied my hard drive off of this and tried to get installed on the other one, and it just didn't didn't do well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try it again. I'm gonna take another crack at it here uh, this week and uh, this weekend here sometime if I get some time. I got to go hunting. Uh, Black powder. Boy, I haven't seen too many deer. Except when I'm in town, I see I seen a, a big 10, 12-point buck in town yesterday. And uh, all that good stuff. So anyway, uh, hopefully there'll be one out here on Saturday. Uh, Going to go out Saturday and do some hunting. Uh, I bought a blind because I don't want to sit in that stinking cold. It messed my back up being up there in that cold and on that chair. And I've got some comfortable chairs, actually. Hunting chairs to sit on. Uh, and uh, I've got a real comfortable one, so I'm going to get that, and I figured, well, I could take this hunting blind anywhere I want to. If I decide to go to somebody else's place, I could pop it off and take it out and put it somewhere else, so I'm going to I'm gonna take another crack at it and uh, do some hunting on Saturday out here, and uh, so I got a lot of work ahead of me. I got to get my sermon written and all that stuff. I don't know if I'm, if I'm doing that. Uh, I don't know if I'm doing that uh, uh, a broadcast on Friday or not. I'm just not sure. We'll see how much time I have here and all that good stuff. But uh, we'll we'll look at it and see what happens. Uh, but anyway, uh, hope you're doing well. And as we just uh, continue on here and press on for the Lord and uh, life's many challenges and through many things that that come our way here and boy there's always something it seems like got a bunch of songs and anyway so uh 
hope uh hope uh you all are, are doing good here and it sounds like everybody's preparing for tomorrow and having visitors and guests and all those things and uh keeping yourselves busy and uh, i gotta put the others i haven't put the sermons up from sunday yet uh i gotta get that up i'll get one up oh i'm kind of behind a little bit i guess i better get that up here um I'll get that up tonight here, one of them. Uh, and then, uh, of course, I did Martyr's Mirrors from the 10th century. Didn't finish that. We'll keep going this weekend here and get some more out and uh, all that stuff. And, uh, well, I definitely don't want any ginger molasses cookies. I'm not a gingerbread person, but hope you have fun making them. But I don't like gingerbread men either. I want to slay the ginger man. Anyway, so no way. No ginger for me. That's way too healthy for a cookie. Stick it ginger. Stick it ginger in a cookie is way too healthy. I'm sorry. That is just like that. You might as well stick a stinking stick of garlic in that cookie, is what you might as well do. Why don't you just make a garlic cookie? If you give Erica any ideas, she will make a garlic cookie. Or Becca putting 800 pounds of garlic in inside something. They'll, they'll do that. Not for me. I want junk if I'm going to eat junk, man. I don't want no, no ginger. Mrs. Bicey drinks that ginger tea. and She drinks raspberry tea. And she's like, hey, it's really good for you. You should drink some. I was like, that's for women. Men don't drink raspberry tea. That's for women drink raspberry tea. All I ever heard of is pregnant women drinking raspberry tea. I'm not drinking raspberry leaf tea. That's for women's. Oh, no, don't give my wife the recipe. She'll end up making it. I, it's okay. I'm not going to eat it. I'm going on record right now. I ain't eating it. Making me no gingerbread. I never did get the point of that. You taste it. It's so strong. It's like, what's the use? Carl, you would eat a gingerbread. I'd like to smack you in the head with the gingerbread man. Oh, look at you. Oh, I love ginger tea. No, you don't. No, you don't. Nobody loves ginger tea. People love cookies. People love cake. People love pork and barbecue. Nobody in their right mind loves ginger tea. They drink it because it's good for them. Nobody, nobody drinks ginger tea because they like it. They drink it because it's good for them. That's just the truth. You all know that's true. It's like when I drink garlic and cayenne and, um, you know, chicken uh, bouillon or whatever and uh, or bone broth or whatever. I'm not I'm not drinking that. I'm not drinking that because it, I like it. I know you drink ginger tea all the time, and Jacob's a ginger, but that doesn't mean that most people in their right mind look at that and be like, 
There ain't no way. Nobody drinks ginger tea because they like it. Come on. People like Pepsi. People like Coke. People like cheese. Oh, nobody likes ginger tea. <laughs> I'll take a side or yeah, I Carl. Everywhere I went with you, I didn't see you stick your little pinky finger out and be like, "Please, may I have some ginger tea?" You didn't order it one time. You didn't order it one time when I was out with you anywhere. Oh, please, give me some ginger tea. I didn't hear it once. Not once. What did I hear? Give me that espresso. Come on. Uh, it's exactly true. I only drink that stuff when I'm sick. Not because it tastes good. I'm not saying it's bad to drink it. I get it. You should drink it. Oh, I think I'll have Mary make me some. Mary, could you make me some ginger tea? Like, not once did you say that. Anywhere I went, at every single coffee shop, at every little juice place, at every little place we passed, not one time did you stick your little pinky finger up and order ginger tea. Not one time. You drink it because it's good for your throat. When you, when you try to sing like Pavarotti. That's why you drink it. Oh, I think I'll relax with some ginger tea. Come on, man. I'm just honest about it, all right? Never see, you never walked into anywhere and stuck your little pinky finger up and like, ginger tea, please. Never, not once. You drink the espresso because it tastes good. You drink ginger because it's good for you. That's right. Mary knows. Mary knows exactly what I'm talking about. Right, Christine. Ginger's like what you have to drink when you've been put in the corner and you've been bad. Go drink that ginger tea. Your throat hurts. Like, go suck on that swamp grass over there because your 
You're sick. You need, you need to stay healthy. You don't want to get sick, so here. How about an order of swamp grass? That's what you do. I will tell them how. So we're in this airport, right? We're walking along this airport, and here's this British lady. And Carl walks by, and he's like, Bot! And he just belches, like, right in her face. And he's like, excuse me. And she's like, oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. That's what she said to him. <laughs> she was like, you barbarian. You're stinking barbarian. Man, she was about, she was like, you had the most uncivilized Oh, man. Like, nobody sits down and says, hey, I think I'll... I know what. How about some ginger tea? No way. Only when you have to. I mean, that's me anyway. I don't know. I'm sure there's somebody out there. I remember her saying that, Carl. I know you. I know there's people. I I know there's I know there's people that actually like all that stuff. I I get it. But it ain't Aaron. Don't let Aaron fool you. Aaron's like I think bone broth is delicious. Why it's my first choice. Everywhere I go, I choose bone broth. Aaron. Aaron. Between what, Aaron? Between eight bags of Cheetos? <laughs> Between like eight bags of Cheetos and Doritos and brownies and cookies? Bone broth is my number one choice. <laughs> ah, this is good therapy for me. <laughs> Who'd have known I'd have this much fun picking on you guys? <laughs> Bone broth, that's what I desire more than anything. Give me bone broth. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, Jody, I hope I'm giving you some comic relief here. <laughs> hey, next time you come over to my house. Yeah, I know. Next time he comes over to my house, Rachel, tomorrow we'll be like, how about a big jaw of bone broth? Bone broth. Wonderful. Splendid. Bone broth.
Yeah, we know it's not his cho first choice in food. <laughs> oh, sure. I'll just sit out and have a good meal of bone broth tomorrow. <laughs> just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I'm done picking on everybody. <laughs> Oh, that's funny right there, man. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I'm going to sit out and have something that tastes good, it's like going to be Becca's berry cheesecake she's making. <laughs> I ain't going to lie to you. I... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be real with you. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, oh, give me some ginger and bone broth. <laughs> yeah, because I got this figure eating ginger and bone broth. <laughs> Oh, that's funny, man. That's how I got this boyish figure right here. Bone broth and ginger. <laughs> oh, that's funny right there, man. Oh. You got... <laughs> Daryl's goose is cooked. <laughs> Oh, man, that's funny. That's some funny stuff right there, man. You got to admit, that's funny right there, man. All because... Sorry, Christine. You can make the cookies. I'm just playing. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing so hard. My sides hurt now. Actually, it's my stomach, not my side. Maybe I need some bone broth and ginger. I've got a smashing idea. Bone broth and ginger. Oh, if my daughter Mandy is listening to right now, she is probably laughing her head off right now. Oh, I know I am. All right. Anyway, so what are you guys up to? <laughs> What's everybody else doing right now? <laughs> oh. Who's making bone broth and ginger for tomorrow in swamp grass and like uh, a thyroid of yak 
Anybody making the thyroid of a yak tomorrow? Anybody doing that? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Now, on a serious note, I think. Sort of. I'm working on it. All right. Oh, crafts with the kids. Great. Now Andrea's kids think I'm totally insane. They're like, why does that guy keep laughing at himself, Mom? Mom, what's wrong with that guy? He just keeps laughing. Is that guy okay? I know what you need, Rachel Bicey, with your laundry. Bone broth and ginger. <laughs> just pour a little bit of that in there. It cures everything. Ah. Oh, I look, all I know is if there's ginger cookies, Aaron, they are all yours with a side order of bone broth. <laughs> Proving yes, that a Baptist preacher can spend at least 20 minutes talking about absolutely nothing. That's right. Red raspberry leaf tea and ginger. Ah, okay. I I know it. We're going to have a buffet of of ginger snaps and bone broth. What we're going to have Darren's favorite. That's what I, I next I don't know I don't know what his birthday is next, but whenever it is, I'm getting him bone broth and ginger snaps. That's what I'm getting him. All right, all right. I better stop. I better stop. I We're going to talk about tongues today. No, we're actually not going to talk about tongues today. We're going to talk about the phony baptism of the Holy Spirit that is taught by the charismatics. And next time we come together to talk about charismania, we will deal with the phony tongue speaking of the charismatics. But I thought it best to start with this and to teach through this part first. Because this is, in essence, they say, uh, they say tongues are a sign, right? Tongues are a sign of being filled with the spirit, uh, being baptized in the spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Right? So, anyway. But you should remember what what C-3PO says about So, since Brother Jimmy is no longer with us, is there anybody else who has the gift of interpreting the tongues in which we're all going to speak today? Anybody? Oh, goodness, that was frightening. Oh, hello. Who might you be? Why, we're the members of Wickersham Apostolic Church, and you are? Isn't it obvious, Preacher Jeff? He's a golden angel from heaven. Oh, 
I'm afraid that's not quite true. My name is C-3PO. I am a service droid from another galaxy, programmed to interact with and assist various organic life forms such as yourselves. Assist us? Yes, that's right. Is there anything with which you need assistance? Well, yes, actually. We're trying to get an old-timey revival going where a number of us are going to speak in tongues, but our translator called in sick with an unexpected case of Lutheranism. Is there any chance the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon you the supernatural gift of interpretation? I'm afraid that I possess no divinely given abilities. However, I was programmed to be fluent in over six million forms of communication, including all the languages of your planet, so I believe I could be of service as a translator. Hey, you guys hear that? That's great! Yeah, really! Really great. Well, let's get this thing going. All right. Anybody feel in the spirit? Anybody have a word from the Lord you just gotta share with us? I'm feeling it. Shlaba have a twing bing doogie alba bingo. Okay, Brother 3PO, what did Sister Jane say? Um, nothing. What? Yeah, what are you talking about? I said a bunch of stuff. Well, you did make sounds, but I'm afraid those sounds were just randomly assembled bits of gibberish and don't belong to any actual language. Really? You sure that wasn't Russian or something? Quite certain, I'm afraid. Well, I'm really feeling the spirit. Let me try something. That felt like Hebrew. That was Hebrew, right? No, just Middle Eastern sounding gibberish. French sounding gibberish. Probio, Mavia, Pasta Primavera. That was half gibberish, half just listing menu items from an Italian restaurant. Yo tengo tres bigotes in mis piscinas. Hey, that was Spanish, right? Yes. You just said, I have three mustaches in my swimming pools. Did the Holy Spirit directly reveal to you that you have three mustaches in your swimming pools, or did you just subconsciously shout out the only words you remember from Senorita Van Meter's fifth period Spanish class your freshman year of high school? Seventh period, actually. Look, my new friends, as much as you all want to believe it, I'm afraid it's clear that the Holy Spirit isn't actually causing you to speak in legitimate foreign languages as he did to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Well, the Lord is obviously speaking through us somehow. In fact, I believe we're speaking in some kind of supernatural prayer language, like how St. Paul talks about speaking in the tongue of angels. You speak angel? Well, no, but... Well, then, rest assured, my Pentecostal friends, that must be what's going on. I do hate to be rude, sir, but when St. Paul references the tongue of angels in 1 Corinthians 14, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit actually grants certain men the ability to speak the official language of heaven. Rather, he's making a rhetorical point. To people who think that speaking in tongues makes them better Christians, he's saying, even if I speak in the most super-duper heavenly of tongues, if I think I'm holier than other people, I'm actually proving my to be a spiritually infantile, self-righteous sinner. Well, all right. So, in the end, the Bible only actually describes God giving men one kind of miraculous tongue speaking, that of speaking in actual languages, which we've just established that you're not doing, and which we'll establish in a future video no one is actually doing today. And if I may be so bold, inventing a new way that God is speaking through you after it's just been shown that God wasn't actually speaking through you the way you first claimed he was, is not substantially different from when the Jehovah's Witness kept changing the meaning of their end-of-the-world predictions after they failed to come true. In other words, it's an unsuccessful attempt to cover up your blatant false prophecy. Oh, yeah? Well, how about this? Hey, that sounded like something. That was Latin. Well, all right, it looks like you were wrong, metal man. Backwards, Latin. What? You just said Satan is my homeboy in Latin. Backwards. Which I think means you have a demon. I do not have a demon. You probably have a demon. I do not have a demon. Pretty sure you have a demon. We do not have a demon. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure you got a demon there, Daryl. <laughs> Hey, 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure you got a demon there, Daryl. All right, Daryl's got a demon. And, uh, you know, that is a perfect example of the gibberish that is spoken by the tongue-speaking crowd. Okay, it's a perfect example of what they do. Now, we are not really going to talk about tongue-speaking today, right? But... But what we are going to talk about is their phony baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, they call it the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit that the Bible warns us about, right? It warns us of another spirit that, uh, that they believe in, right, that they follow. They call him the Holy Spirit. It's really weird when you hear them call, when they say, well, Holy Spirit says, Holy Spirit says it is odd. Because the Holy Spirit is never referenced like what they say in the scriptures at all. But this is who they are, right? Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians. Verse, uh, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians 11. And Paul says this in verse 3, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled at Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might but well bear with him. Now Paul is talking about another spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's another spirit they receive. And I believe that these people, when they receive a spirit, and they say that the the uh, uh, the the, uh, the baptism of the spirit. The evidence of the baptism of the Spirit is, is being is speaking in tongues. The evidence of that is speaking in tongues. I believe that these people are receiving another spirit. It's another Christ. And it's another Holy Spirit. You're going to release something, all right, kid. To leave right now. Oh, Father, we ask for a third grace in your fire. 
So this same this same uh spirit that they follow is the spirit of antichrist it is another spirit another another gospel they set it up they gin it up they get it worked up in your life and right now in the mighty name of jesus anybody anybody that is ready to receive a dose of the holy ghost to die to themselves and live to jesus you want the fire of god in your life quickly run up to the altar now in the mighty name of jesus So there you go. This is supposed to be the, they said, if you want to see a, uh, a dose of the Holy Ghost, how about this? Remember this? So anyway, this is uh, just one dose of the Holy Ghost, they call it. And uh, that's uh, what they believe they're getting as they deceive the masses. Right? See, that's, that's what they want. They want that pizzazz. They want that, they want that spirit. And by the way, it can be faked. It can be faked. And it is faked. They are a bunch of fakes. They have a phony baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not real. 
not a real spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit, all right. And see, the spirit that you receive, the spirit that you receive causes you to react in a certain way. Right? Just like when somebody gets saved by the grace of God, when someone gets saved by the grace of God, they act a certain way. Right? Sure they do. These people act a certain way. This is a phony baptism of the Holy Spirit, which results in a phony, deceiving speaking in what they call tongues. Which, tongues are a language. They're actual languages. Now, we're not going to really talk about that today as much as we will next time. But this is designed to be a series that will answer, Pastor Cooley, why? Why do you reject charismania, the charismatic NAR movement? Why? And I showed you the history of, uh, of the charismatic, Pentecostal charismatic NAR movement. Their founders that are all a bunch of witches, not a holy one around, uh, uh, in the whole bunch, not a separated, sanctified one in the whole bunch. All of them were a bunch of adulterers, bunch of fornicators, bunch of drunks, bunch of money grubbing thieves. Right? So we went through that, that, uh, some of the history there. And then we talked about how the fact that they're female preachers and apostle and fake apostles, and we reject the movement because of female preachers and fake apostles. Then, then we talked about fake healers, that they're fake healers and phony miracles, they're Satan sorcerers, That's the reason. And now we're going to come to their phony baptism. They receive another spirit. It's not the spirit of the Lord. It's an antichrist spirit. You can find this information, this book, at David Cloud's website. We reject the Pentecostal charismatic movements because of the false doctrine about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. From their inception, most Pentecostal denominations have taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience that must be sought 
subsequent to salvation. They always teach you that all believers are entitled to and should ardently expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and fire. According to the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that was a normal experience of all in the early Christian church. With it comes the endowment of power for life and service, the bestowment of the gifts and their uses in the work of the ministry. This experience is distinct from the subsequent and subsequent to the experience of the new birth. They always teach that you've got to get something different from the Lord. They always teach that that it's you need something different. You need a a a, a separate baptism. That you got to have a separate baptism. And it's simply not true. It's a lie. It's phony and it's a lie and it le- it deceives people. One charismatic Michael Harper said, I believe we can see the distinct this distinction as two operations of the one Holy Spirit, regeneration and the empowering by the Spirit. In the first... The Holy Spirit comes to give new life and the new birth. While in the other, the Spirit anoints or empowers Christians for their witness and ministry. It is baptism in the Spirit which was initiated, which has initiated millions of Christians in the life of renewal. Royal power, once we have reached, received it, it leads us into a new dimension of Christian living. That's a lie. It's a lie. And it's taught so you don't ever have to walk in the spirit. It is taught so you so you can make an excuse. The Bible commands us to walk in the spirit. So you can make an excuse for your sin. Why you don't live for God. Because the anointing. It takes the the um, the pressure off you and you can just cast out the demon of this and cast out the demon of that and be and and get the baptism of the spirit and all this others and then you don't have to obey God. You got a lot of excuses. It's some separate spirit, some or some separate working of the spirit. What's the Bible say, though? The baptism of the Holy Spirit was a historical event that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Jesus prophesied of it in his earthly ministry. Look at John chapter 14. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelt with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. 
Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's the promise of God. And then, uh, let's see, John chapter 16, uh, verse 7 through 17. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, He'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, That shall he speak. He will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things of the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, shall show it unto you. A little while, and you shall not see me. And again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. So Jesus is explaining to them and telling them the the work of the Spirit that is coming. After his resurrection, Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, She shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. The Bible doesn't say anywhere else that you and I are supposed to wait for the promise of the Father. That was a one-time event. Miraculous at that time, the way that it was done for Israel. There were three receptions of the Holy Spirit. In three parts in the book of Acts, for the Jews in Acts chapter 2, when you go to Pentecost, which is 50 days, for the Samaritans, there's a purpose for that, and we'll explain that in Acts 8, 14 through 17, and for the Gentiles in Acts 10, 44 to 47. The special coming of the Holy Ghost beyond the day of Pentecost upon the Samaritans and the Gentiles was to demonstrate that the Jews, to the Jews, that God was doing a new thing and he was creating a spiritual entity composed of Jews and Gentiles. Acts 8. When you look at Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 17, you're going to see why that had to happen. Because of the extreme animosity. That was there. Oops. 
the extreme animosity that was there. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews because their religion was a mixture, partly Jewish and partly pagan. Samaria had been the center of idolatry in the northern tribes of Israel. Remember that in 1 Kings 13.32. The rough place. Let's look at that. 1 Kings. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the house of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. The high place, a cesspool. Of wickedness. Then Samaria was taken captive by the king of Assyria. Pagans from other lands were brought in to populate it. And the Old Testament Jewish religion there became intertwined with paganism. 2 Kings 17. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. And in the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and Habar by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. And walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. So you see, there was a mixture of religion there. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. This is why God was doing that. God was doing a special work. He was doing a special work for the Jews. And the Samaritans. Because they hated each other. God says, no, you're all going to be one in the body. When Jesus conversed with the woman at the well in Samaria... She said, how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. By treating the Samaritans in a special manner in Acts 8, God demonstrated to the Jews that he loved the Samaritans and was putting them on the same spiritual footing when they believed in Christ. At the same time, God demonstrated to the Samaritans that salvation is of the Jews. By waiting to impart the Holy Spirit unto the apostles from Jerusalem, laid hands on them until then, God showed the Samaritans that they must accept the Jewish apostles as his representatives. The fact that there was an interval of time between when they believed and when they received the Holy Spirit, not accidental. It was, and was, and was not an example for the entire church age. It had to do with the special situation it existed. 
See, there were religious, racial, and cultural barriers between them. They hated each other. Literally. When there was the shortest route to go through Samaria, the Jews would go completely around it. They would not go into Samaria. That's how bad they hated the, the, the Samaritans. Then when Jesus stopped by in Luke chapter 9 and set his face as he would go towards Jerusalem, nobody wanted to take him in because they were mad. Because he was going to Jerusalem. They were ticked off at him and said, no. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And set messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. They did not receive him. Because his face is, was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And the sons of thunder, they got mad about it, right? And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's life, lives, but to save them. They went to another village. See, see, they were certainly the last ones that the Jews wanted to lay hands on or that Samaritans wanted to let the Jews lay hands on. They didn't want that. So had the Samaritans received the Holy Ghost at the moment of conversion in that state of mind, the terrible abyss that separated them would have continued into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would have been a negation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of which it is written, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The Samaritans had to be brought to admit that what was happening with them was not a Samaritan Pentecost. That there was only one birth of the church. The Pentecost in Jerusalem was the beginning of the new era. Whereas the evangelization in Samaria was only there entering into the blessings of that era. And not the inauguration of it. That episode in Samaria was part of the church's growth and not its birth. It was vital that all those present in Samaria should know that there were not two bodies, two churches. But one. See, they had to know that. It was crucial that they acknowledged what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. Salvation is of the Jews. And that the Samaritans would recognize the apostles' authority. The interval, therefore, between the moment the Samaritans received Christ and when they received the Holy Spirit is not accidental. It was deliberate. Because just as the Samaritans had to see that they were dependent on the authority of the Jewish apostles, it was necessary for the apostles. Those same apostles who wanted to pray for the fire of heaven to come down and incinerate those Samaritans to understand that these people with whom they had only a very brittle relationship were to enter into the same church. 
See, God was breaking down that middle wall of partition. He was breaking down the animosity that was between them and showing them that the ground's all level at the cross. The lesson of that wasn't, hey, guess what? Everybody's got to get baptized in the spirit and speak in tongues. No. The lesson was very clear. In fact, it was Paul's entire mission nearly. In Acts 10, the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles, of course, were hated by the Jews even more than the Samaritans. But God gave a special demonstration in Acts 10 to the Jews that he was accepting believing Gentiles on the same spiritual footing. God gave two signs to the Jews. Peter's triple vision and the tongue speaking. In Acts 10, it's obvious that Peter was still reluctant to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, even though he had seen the signs of tongues on the day of Pentecost and had even preached on that day that God was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ had commanded the Jewish disciples to preach the gospel to every nation, but they sort of dragged their feet. Because they had a lot of Jewish pride. They didn't want to go. So God took the Pharisee of the Pharisees, Paul, and sent him to preach to the Gentiles and be the apostle of the Gentiles. He raised him up to do that. He raised the worst enemy of the Jews up or the worst enemy of the, the Jewish believers up and the apostles to preach to the Gentiles that they might be saved. The vision that Peter saw in Acts 10, 9 through 16 prepared him to receive the Gentiles. And to stop looking at them like they were unclean Goya dogs. Stop looking at them like they couldn't be saved. So Peter has that vision. He's willing to go to Cornelius and preach the gospel to him and all his Gentile friends. But it was the sign of tongues that fully broke down the barrier. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 46, look what it says. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. But they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. See, God was doing that mighty work, and it it shook them. It shook them up. Right?
it shook him up because God was doing a work. It messed it, 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 it mess with them. Now, observe that it was a sign of tongues that astonished the Jews, showing them as it did that God had definitely and unmistakably saved these believing Gentiles and bestowed upon them the Holy Spirit. The tongues on that occasion was assigned to the Jews, not just as Paul, or excuse me, just as Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 22. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. See, the tongues were spoken to prove that God broke the barrier. The spiritual barrier between them by giving them, by them praising God in their own tongue. It affected them. Because they could no longer deny. That's the whole purpose that God used tongues. Remember the Tower of Babel, they were all separated because, not because of, not because God wants one race on earth or, or one nationality or one color or whatever you want to call it now. Oh, God wants everybody to be one. Well, spiritually, he wants those that are saved to have the gospel and be saved. And that all men would hear the gospel in their own tongue. Of course God wants that. He doesn't want to worship in Satan like the Tower of Babel, where they all going to be one like that. He wants them to be one in, in, in the gospel, those that will come and be saved, those that will repent and believe the gospel, those that are called to repentance. That's the reason for tongues, not to go shaka baba, shaka baba, boo boo, baba, bobo, bobo, garbage. Who gets saved from that nonsense? Nobody. Like he said, Middle Eastern gibberish. It's a bunch of gibberish. They heard the wonderful works of God in their own tongues. And they proclaimed the wonderful works of God. They didn't run around acting like a bunch of morons. 
Does it sound like what what you're taught? When Peter recounted the experience of Cornelius to his Jewish church at Jerusalem, he said this. Then remembered I the word of the Lord. How, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Well, think about that. They were intelligent languages. If God was going to get kicked, you might ask me the question. Could God today or would God today give me a miraculous language? Well, he could. He could make it so I could speak in Croatian, right? I don't know what language that is, Carl. Well, he could, but it wouldn't be gibberish. You would understand what I was saying. You would say, wow, how can Pastor Cooley preach in Croatian? He's never learned that before. Well, that would be the miracle of tongue speaking. Some might say if I actually spoke English, spoke English that would be a miracle. <laughs> anyway, but they were languages. Could God do it? Sure. Is it his natural, is it his normal way? No. And he's Probably not going to. Because tongues were assigned to the Jews. That's what they were for. Thus, Peter associated the event in Acts 10 directly with that in Acts 2. In this manner, the Holy Spirit showed conclusively that he was offering the gospel to all people and was placing both Jews and Gentiles into one new spiritual body. Not the nation of Israel, the local New Testament church. That whether you were Jew, whether you were Gentile, whether you were bond, whether you were free. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, slain the enmity thereby. Enmity was slain. Right? What about Acts 19, 1 through 7, you might ask? What about that one? The last occasion of speaking in tongues in the book of Acts is in chapter 19. Paul found some men who had been baptized with John's baptism. 
but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say John baptized him either. It says upon John's baptism. Who baptized him? We don't know. Let's look at Acts chapter 19. Be the exact words. That don't mean they were saved. That don't mean they understood the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism, Unto, not by John, unto. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Oh, wait. Wait. I got something for the Ruckmanites that's going to make them mad. What did Paul just say? Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Huh. Well, that sums up some things, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? Paul made it real clear, didn't he? Yeah. He did. He said that's what that's what he said that's what John preached. He just told you what John preached. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all of them were about 12. Well, what happened here? They got saved. They believed on Jesus. They got baptized. They got a sign of the, they got the sign of speaking in tongues. Right? There was a reason for it. Apparently, he observed something about them that made him question whether they were true Christians. And after preaching Jesus Christ to them, Paul baptized them, then laid his hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. It's common in Pentecostal and charismatic circles to treat this as a proof text for the doctrine that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that occurs after salvation and is accompanied by speaking in tongues. Well, let's break it down here. First, it is obvious that the men had not believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they had only believed in a corrupted version of John the Baptist's message. Listen, let me give you an example of this. My guys about a year, a couple years ago were on the street. They saw some guy in the town square in Northfield preaching. And he had this sign. And he was preaching and he was telling people to repent. Well, that sounds good. And he was preaching and he and he was he was repeating what was in the Bible about repent, repent. And 
man, that sounds great. Well, let's go talk to him, maybe give him the right hand of fellowship, encourage him and all this. So my guys get down there. And they go talk to him. And they find out this guy don't even know the gospel. He's not even saved. He's not even a Christian. He doesn't even know the gospel. But he was preaching the same thing. He was telling people to repent like John was. Yeah, but he didn't know the whole message. The guy was as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. He was telling him to keep the commandments. He did not know repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't know that they were supposed to repent and believe on him that should come. Huh. Yeah. Same scenario as Paul faced. Only we don't lay hands on people and then receive the Holy Ghost because that was done for a sign. For one thing, John preached salvation through Jesus Christ. Look at John 129. This makes them mad too. They don't like it. Start telling folks about this and they get all kinds of huffy with you. A lot of the Ruckmanites get huffy with you when you start talking about it. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What he said. But he said to everybody, preach, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Right? Sin of the world. Okay. But these men did not understand this salvation. They apparently knowing only the ritual of baptism without its significance. Further, John preached the coming of the Holy Spirit in Matthew 3.11. These men did not even know about the Holy Spirit. Why? They weren't Christians. They picked up some lingual along the way. They read a post on, I'll give you a modern day version of this. They read a post on Facebook. They got their theology from New World Order uh videos new world order um exposed videos from carlos montoya's uh no eyed laws videos right no eyed exposed bloody ritual exposed so that's what they 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 followed the birdie down there and they got their theology from it. They developed a whole theological system from the Vigilant Christian Mario's Exposed videos. 
I'm giving Carl a hard time, but but, but really that's <laughs> he knows I'm messing with him. But that's but that's the vigilant Christian Mario, right? Guys like that. If you if you if you pick up little pieces and that's what they're doing, right? But look what he said. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Right. Right, Mary. Smashing Mary. Smashing comeback Mary. From Trans Investigation Exposed videos. Anyway. So that's, so think about it, right? That's, you ever, you've met those people, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Everything they get, they just pick up out of videos, right? And they don't have, they don't have a theological, biblical, sound foundation. That's who these guys were. Same thing. Right? Same exact thing. And... Carl knows what I'm talking about because he, he's watched these guys before. He knows who they are. We've all seen them on there, right? And they got no, they got no theology, they got no depth. They don't know the Bible. We've run across them on Facebook posts, right? We see them and they say things. It's like, wait, you ain't even a Christian. You don't even know the Bible. You don't even know what it means to be born again. That's who these guys were. So the men in Acts 19 were immigrant Jews who had heard a corrupted semblance of John's message and got baptized by somebody, but they had never heard or believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not in association with the believers in Ephesus. You all have seen them. You know who those guys are. You've, you've watched them for years. They're chasing around those kind of things. Second, observe that the, the lay that the laying on of hands was by an apostle. Right? Look at Acts 19.6. Paul's an apostle. That can't be duplicated today. There are no apostles. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. They were signs of an apostle. These men were Jews. Also, this situation was unique. These men were Jews. They spoke in tongues as a sign of confirmation of Paul's message and as another evidence of them and to other Jews that God was doing a great work. Legrand said this about it. He said the episode in Ephesus where 12 men suddenly speak in tongues is along the same lines as these Jews lived in communities or many colonies guarding their Jewish cultural identity jealously in the midst of pagan population. 
However, the gospel had started to penetrate these pagan masses and churches were already being formed among them. Faced with their natural refusal to believe that they could become one with those surrounding people, the Holy Spirit seized hold of their lips, made them praise in the pagan tongues, the God of Israel, who was not becoming in their Jewish eyes the God of the nations. These 12 men, part of this people, needed the sign of tongues in order to be taught about the worldwide dimension. Their Savior was now giving his salvation to all men. There are various methods. Number three, there are various methods and evidences of receiving the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. But one method predominated. To say that we should receive the Holy Spirit like the Jews in the upper room on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, or like the Samaritans in Acts 8, or like the Gentiles in 10, or like the Ephesians in Acts 18 or 19, is to ignore the fact that these were unique situations. They were special signs. They actually contradicted one another. They didn't repeat it. They were special, miraculous things that God was doing. The Jews in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, watch. This wasn't going to be duplicated again like that. When the, days of Pente- when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Because God told them to wait there. He didn't tell you and I to wait in some room until the Holy Ghost falls on us and we start speaking in tongues. He didn't tell us that. He didn't tell us to, to mimic this or to follow this. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and sat on each one of them and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Go. Now. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. When the Holy Spirit came, the evidence was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Oven tongues like as a fire sat upon their head. If Pentecostals want to repeat Pentecost, they should expect a duplication of all this evidence. But they focus rather on the tongue speaking because this can be worked up and manipulated. Whereas a mighty wind and cloven tongues like as a fire cannot be. The Jews in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 42. Those who believed Peter's preaching on that same day did not exhibit any of the previous signs. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was no mighty wind, no cloven tongues, like as a fire, and no tongue speaking. They simply received the gospel and were baptized. Look. And with many words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. 
And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Now look at this last part. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They did the signs and wonders. That's who did them, friend. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, done by everybody. It wasn't done by everyone. This is the normal way. They that gladly received his word were then baptized. They joined the church. They served God. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, communion, and in prayers. There you go. That was normal. It's like you and I go to church, right? Besides the apostles being present and doing signs and wonders. The Jews in Acts 4.4, these believed the preaching of the gospel. But there's no indication that they spoke in tongues or exhibited any type of Pentecostal phenomena. There is no record that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit at a later time. Look at it. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. The Jews in Acts 6 7. Again, there is nothing in the biblical record that these believers spoke in tongues or that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit on a separate occasion. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Stephen was full of the faith, and he was the first martyr, and he did great wonders and miracles among the people. But these men didn't. They didn't. Acts 8, 14 through 17, the Samaritans, these received the Holy Spirit through the laying on of the hands of the apostles from Jerusalem. This demonstrated the authority of the Jewish apostles. There is no record that the Samaritan believers spoke in tongues when they received the Holy Spirit. Many Pentecostals and Charismatics claim the Samaritans must have spoken in tongues, but they read this into the scripture. 
Acts 8. And when the apostles were, which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them, they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. How about the Ethiopian eunuch? Acts chapter 8. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. As they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went, both, they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. There was no speaking in tongues there. There was no miraculously uh, spirit-filled, I mean, uh, spirit baptism there. Acts 10 these received the Holy Spirit through the hearing and believing of the gospel. And they spoke with tongues. This is one of the only three, only three places in the book of Acts that speaking in tongues followed faith in Christ. The tongues in this case was not the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but was a bold and effective sign to the Jews that God was extending salvation to the Gentiles. Look at Acts 10, 45 and 46, and you can see that. While yet, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Why was that important? So the Jews that were with Peter and the Gentiles could be scripturally baptized to show the Jews and the Gentiles but especially the Jews that God put no difference in them. The people at Antioch, the first fruits of the church at Ephesus believed on Jesus Christ, but they did not speak in tongues. There's no record that they were later baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 11.20 And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. See, no talk and no speak of 
speaking in tongues. Lydia and her household, Acts 16, 13 through 15. These believed and were baptized, but did not speak in tongues. And there is no record that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit at some later point. Another example, Acts 16. And on this, verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where the prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple in the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. When she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. He constrained us. Very plain. Those who believed in Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens, in Acts 17, 4, 12, and 34, all these believed in Jesus, but none of them spoke in tongues. There's no record about them being baptized with the Holy Spirit on a later occasion. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Or, we'll look at verse 12 and 34. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus the Aragopite, Aeropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. There's nothing about them speaking in tongues or that they had to have the evidence of the, that was the evidence of them having the Holy Ghost. The disciples at Ephesus, these received the Holy Spirit by believing on Christ and being baptized. And we talked about why that happened. There's nothing in the record about uh, speaking in tongues or about the necessity of seeking the baptism of the Spirit. Acts 19, 17. This was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on, on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mighty grew the word of God and prevailed. Nothing in there about them speaking in tongues. Thus we see there were various ways that the Holy Spirit was received during the transitional period covered in the book of Acts. 
The spirit was received with a rushing mighty wind and cloven tongues like as a fire and tongues speaking in Acts 2, 1 through 4. He was received by the laying on of the hands of the apostles and no tongues in Acts 8. He was received by the laying on of the apostles' hands accompanied by tongues in Acts 19. Right? In all other cases, the Holy Spirit was received by simply believing on Jesus Christ with no laying on of the hands or tongues. The doctrine of how the believer receives the Holy Spirit must be found in the majority of these cases. The permanent and abiding pattern is for the sinner to put his faith in Jesus Christ. And by so doing, he is saved and receives the Holy Spirit. There is no halfway salvation in the Bible. Everything God has is in Christ. And by receiving Jesus and believing on him, the individual receives everything. How it works, friend. We see the permanent method of receiving the Holy Spirit is in Acts 2, 37 to 42, which we just looked at. Which describes the first believers under the new dispensation after the coming of the Holy Spirit. The law first mentioned is his important method of Bible study. These men and women received the Holy Ghost by repenting and gladly believing on the name of Jesus with water baptism as the outward sign of their inward faith. The evidence that followed the reception of the Holy Spirit was not tongues speaking or a mighty wind or cloven tongues of fire or shaking or falling to the ground. Rather, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That's a local New Testament church. People get saved. People get baptized. People then join the church. They live for Christ. They learn the Bible. Look at Ephesians 1, 12 through 14, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth. Look, this is the gospel. This is the normal way people get saved. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise his glory. The Holy Ghost is the earnest of our inheritance. It says here, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I preached on this. The Holy Ghost is the seal. Which is the earnest. That's the down payment of, for our, of our inheritance. 
until the redemption of the purchased possession out of the praise of his glory. You're not supposed to look around for all those other signs and wonders. You're supposed to believe what the scriptures say plainly. Here we see that the Holy Spirit is received when the sinner hears the gospel he is, and puts his faith and trust in Jesus. He is sealed under the day of redemption until his resurrection and glorification. The only mention of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the epistles is in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. What does it say? For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond free, all made to drink into one spirit. Tongue speaking is not the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, All have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Verse 30 says, But not all speak in tongues. Thus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred once on the day of Pentecost. And there was a special reception of the Holy Spirit for the Samaritans in Acts 8, the Gentiles in Acts 10. Those were unique situations in which God was showing the Jews that he was extending salvation to the nation. There's a purpose for it. There was a reason for it. Normally, believers participate automatically in that one spirit baptism when they are saved. But we're all now, because of Pentecost, after Pentecost, It's through the churches. We're all baptized into one body. Talking about the local New Testament church, having the same baptism, having the same mind, that it's the Holy Ghost that brought us there. Why? Because he did it at Pentecost. Important to understand the book of Acts is a transitional book. Not everything that is recorded in Acts is the pattern for the rest of the church age. Pentecostals and Charismatics often talk about the Book of Acts type of Christianity or an apostolic Christianity. But there are many things that the apostles did and many things that we find in Acts that have not been done in the New Testament sense. The ministry of the apostles was unique. The apostles could lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. They had special sign miracles to authenticate their ministry. Paul said it, truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you. All patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. If miracles were to be done by every believer in general, even in the first century, where would the sign be? It wouldn't be. It's a, it's, it wouldn't even be a sign. Why, it's nonsense. It's nonsense what they teach, preach, and practice. The New Testament never instructs believers to seek the Holy Spirit or to seek to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. 
Pentecostals, Charismatics teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience in addition to salvation and that it must be sought. Michael Harper presents four things that are allegedly required for the reception of the Spirit, baptism. Faith, prayer, action, and tongues. David Cloud said he attended one of those services in Nepal, led by some Pentecostal prophet from England, and he urges listeners to come forward and be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The only text that he read to support his doctrine was 1 Corinthians 12, 13. But this verse does not say come and be baptized. It says, for by one spirit are we all baptized. Two passages that are used to support the doctrine that the baptism of the Holy Spirit must be sought, that they use are Luke eleven thirteen and Luke 24, 49. That's if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Behold, I send the promise of, the, of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. Right? This is what they preach and this is what they teach. They pervert these scriptures, right? They pervert them and try to change them. John or Luke eleven thirteen cannot be talking about asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because not one example is given of such a thing in Acts or in the epistles. Luke eleven thirteen refers rather to asking for the continual filling of and the assistance of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the clear instructions of Ephesians five eight. Commandment of Luke twenty four forty nine was given only one time in Scripture. That was to the disciples that met in the upper room and waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Their tearing did not bring the Holy Spirit, and nothing they did while tearing brought the Holy Spirit. You can't pray long enough and wait for that to come. You can't speak in tongues long enough and all that to get that to happen again, to, to, to get that to continue. You can't tarry long enough in prayer in order for those signs and wonders to come. It's not the example that we are given. He came in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The Old Testament feast described in Leviticus 23. The Passover signified the cross of Christ. First fruit signified Christ's resurrection. Pentecost signified the coming of the Holy Spirit. It occurred exactly 50 days after the feast of first fruits and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 occurred exactly 50 days after Christ rose from the dead. There's simply no command or example in the New Testament for believers to seek the Holy Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit baptism or to seek a second baptism or a second blessing of any sort. It is the filling of the Spirit that we are commanded. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Every true believer that has the Holy Spirit and has been baptized by the Holy Spirit and is thus instructed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, this means to yield to the Spirit's control. The marks associated with the filling of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians are singing spiritual songs of the Lord, giving thanks unto God, submission one to another. There is no mention of tongues or of emotional experiences such as inner healing or shaking or falling or laughing. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit were sometimes were, were something that the believer needed in addition to his salvation, if he needed it for power and effectiveness and for sanctification, the scriptures would be clearly stated and describe how to receive it. If Pentecostal doctrine were true, the apostles would have instructed the churches a long time ago along those lines. In writing to, to Corinth, for example, Paul would have explained to them they needed a baptism in the Spirit or a baptism in fire or a second touch of the Spirit or something of that sort. He would have described how they could have experienced it. Instead, Paul said that believers were already enriched by God in everything. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit and were sealed by the Spirit. Rather than instructing them about a second baptism or a second blessing, he instructed them about holy living. They didn't need to receive the Holy Spirit. They needed to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit that they already had. They didn't need more of the Holy Spirit. They needed to yield more of themselves to him. They didn't need to leap above their spiritual struggles by means of a new experience. They needed to faithfully walk in victory step by step. They needed to be filled with the Spirit and walk with God. That's what they needed just like you do. They didn't need to leap by any means of a special miracle. They needed to walk with God every day. The doctrine that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is part of salvation is not an experience to be sought subsequent to salvation. The lie. Exactly what it is. Deception. God says for you to walk in the spirit. God says for you to abstain from all appearance of evil. He teaches you to walk in the spirit. I've already went over that. We can, you can go back and listen to those messages. How to walk in the spirit. How to be filled with the spirit. How to put on Christ. That's what he tells us to do. Not look for a second blessing, a second benefit, a baptism of the spirit, evidences in speaking in tongues. He never told us to seek any of those things. Amen. Thank you.
the Lord. Uh, that'll give you a good lesson and a good uh, kind of framework to help people to understand as you read through each one of these. They're so long in like um, going through this doctrine and uh, faithfully expounding on it and dealing with the truth. It takes a while, right? It, it doesn't happen. You can't do it in like one message. You're breaking down things like this.
Bless you all. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. 
And uh, make sure you're thankful for many things. And we should be every day of the year and every moment of our lives as God has given us breath to breathe. But make sure that you are uh, faithful. And uh, a lot of Christians, especially in America, that don't celebrate Christmas make much to do about Thanksgiving. And they start other tra uh, family traditions. And, um, and they use the family tradition of uh, uh, they add that to Thanksgiving and thankful and they you know they do some gift gifts and different things for their family um and there's nothing wrong with that that's wonderful traditions there's nothing wrong with getting rid of sinful things and adding good traditions that are that are good you know and uh, there's nothing wrong with traditions as long as they don't speak against the word of god so um I know a lot of families do that. That's what Brother Ickes was talking about. They make much to do about Thanksgiving, and I know other families do as well. So praise the Lord for that. But anyway, well, God bless you all. Take care, and uh, enjoy, um, enjoy your families. Enjoy some time off, and uh, enjoy some good food and, and some good feasting and thankfulness to God. Uh, for all that he's done and don't rush out and spend all your money on on uh, black friday before that before the the food uh, gets out of your mouth and already going nuts so but anyway god bless you all take care and uh pray for our ministry uh if you'd like to give to our ministry i'll show you how you can do that if you don't that's okay too no big deal but here's how uh, oldpathsbaptistchurch.org. Click on the donate button. And that'll take you right there. And you can uh, do it by credit card or you can do it any way you want to right there through PayPal. Or you can go directly to PayPal to salvationpreacher at gmail.com. Also on our website, if you scroll down there, there's PayPal, Venmo, and Apple Pay. You can go to any one of those. Or you can go to our sermonaudio.com page and scroll down to the bottom of the screen. And you can mail something to 1030 South Highway 3, Northfield, Minnesota, 55057. Okay? And if not, then just pray for us. Okay? All right. So, Lord willing, maybe we'll be back on Friday. I don't know. I might just take Friday off and work and get some stuff done that I got to get done and prepare for Saturday for hunting and all that good stuff. We'll see. I got work to do. Dave's going to come over, I think, on Friday. Also, and we got some work to do uh, for that. So we'll see what happens. I time he's planning on coming over, but we got to mount a shovel on my gator and get ready for winter here. Anyway, all right, everybody. God bless you. Good night.